0: Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the Scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Whether it's devotional times, family issues, or marriage problems, we want to help you understand and apply what the Bible says in practical ways that produce real results. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Let's Follow Jesus on some of the essentials of walking with Christ on a personal level. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage.
1: I was about uh, 12 years of age. It was Christmas in Savannah. I had opened up all of my gifts, I thought. And my parents handed me a gift, uh, the, the, the one la- last gift, and it was about this size, funny thing, and I thought, I wonder what it could possibly be, and I opened it up. And to my horror, it was a Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Had my name on it, I wasn't going to be able to sell it. <laughs> and I thought, what an unuseful present. They have them in the church, I mean, you don't, what do you need these things for? Over the next three or four years, I tried to read it, I would just take it, and open it up in the middle, you know, where all the heaviest prophets happen to be. I don't know why, if God did that on purpose or what, but, uh, and I thought, well, this is just doesn't seem to be a book you can get into. And there it sat until my seventeenth year when I finally had a change of heart in, uh, relating to God and and therefore to the Bible. And if you have your Bible with you tonight, I'd like you to look at Proverbs 14, 12. Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way which seems right to a man. When something seems right to you, you feel good about doing it. This just seems right. There's something that feels right about this. And The Bible says that, well, there is there, a way that seems right to a man, that this is the way to live, this is, this is how we ought to handle these things, this is what ought to be the way I live my life, and yet the Scripture says about that, and our ability to perceive that on our own, He says its end is the way of death. Now that should be pretty concerning, because what else do you have? I mean, you just all you got is you, and if what if your ability to perceive things is somehow incorrect, then that's what else? What other basis do you have to make a decision on? The other verse I want you to look at is in uh, the book right before Proverbs, the book of Psalms, in the longest psalm, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word, the Bible, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. On the one hand, there is a way that seems right, To a man, but what's the end of that way, does the Bible say? Death. The end of that way, the result of that, the final outcome of that is death. It's suicidal. And on the other hand, God says, or the the scripture says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We've gone through life thinking we're pretty clever. Those of us that are no longer in our 20s have had a couple of experiences probably that we realize, well, I wasn't quite as clever as I thought I was, and as my parents (laughs) knew I wasn't, and tried to tell me, and uh, here I am, a little more banged up and hopefully a little wiser. But the decision we have before us in our lives is, are we going to live our life according to what we think and the way we see things? Or is there a God, and has He spoken? And if He's the one that has designed me, He's the one that knows how my life would best be run. I studied engineering, and, you know, that's building things and setting things up. And anything that's built, a bridge, this podium, the microphone, it all has a design. Nothing is indestructible. Nothing works equally well under all conditions there are certain design conditions and it's it's designed to take this kind of a load work this kind of of a way and if you do it that way everything's fine and if you don't it's not fine uh there's some of you that have a have a computer and you have never figured out the design of that thing ours just had a horrible demise yesterday we still don't know what happened but it was making this horrible grinding and no I didn't know computers could make this kind of a noise and I can't even quite explain what this noise was. But it was going on like this. And and we couldn't get it to turn off. And finally, Wendy just unplugged it from the wall. And then later, she plugged it back in. And it would no longer respond at all. It's uh, a flat wave on the chart. You know? Uh, nothing. Not a light. Nothing. Uh, so uh, but there are things about. Uh, cars and about computers that it, it's a it's a, it, if you know the design and you know the way it works and you use it that way that you're going to get your best results and if you don't know the design and you do it any other way you'll also get a different set of results which are usually much worse it's never better but it can often be a lot worse now what i find is we talk about getting into the bible I'm sure there's some people that have come tonight that you've come for some other reason. Uh, maybe you heard there was going to be snacks afterwards <laughs> or you are, knew a couple of friends here and you, poor you, you here you sit and you're, you've already been thinking, why did I come tonight? Maybe I could have come at the end or something. Because for many people the Bible is a closed book, a boring book, a book they maybe Read a few times, didn't get anything out of, blamed it on the Bible, and have just left it there. For others, it just it represents all of this stuff about God, and they're not all that sure about that, so it's not very interesting for them. And others are just uh, have perfected skepticism, and they have a lot of arguments, but not a lot of information firsthand from the scripture. But I have found, and I've been reading the Bible now after that turnaround at age 17. I've been reading the Bible for, I guess, thirty-three years now. And I have found also in working with people that if people have a problem with the Word of God, it is almost always because they have a problem with the God of the Word, with the author of the Bible. And so that is really the place where you start when you talk about helping people get more out of the Bible. uh, the, The most helpful you can be to them is helping them to draw near to the God of the Bible, and then the Bible will become interesting. You remember perhaps a time when there was a, you were courting a very special someone, and perhaps that special someone wrote you a letter. Now, did anyone have to help you open that letter, get interested in that letter? Here, you know, don't you, won't you want to look? No, not now. I'm kind of, I'm into something else, you know. I'm, uh, something's on TV, and I'm kind of hungry, I'm going to get a snack, and don't you want to read the letter now from your, uh, your loved one? Well, maybe maybe a little bit. I'm just, I'm just not really into letters, you know? I, I'm more of a sports person. Or No, when you, as soon as you got that letter, even if you're not really a romantic type, there was a moment, at least in your life, when you were semi-romantic, even if it was just a moment, men. Uh, but when you got that letter, that, everything else stopped, and you were going to read your letter and you're going to read it again, and you're going to read it again, you're going to carry it around with you, pull it out, read it again, especially if there are any significant phrases besides just the generalities, because you're looking in there for things that have to do with your relationship, reaffirmation of love, and you're hoping that relationship will advance. The same way with the Bible. When I met the God of the Bible, that's when the Word of God became meaningful to me. And as we draw near to Him, This book opens up to us, almost in a a magical way. There are three suppositions, three presuppositions that we have when we come to Christianity. Three things that are the foundation stones on which we stand. The first is is that God is. That God is there. See if I can jot these down. That talks about the, the reality. The reality that God exists the second one is that He speaks, that t- talks to us about revelation, that He reveals Himself. And the third, that we believe, is that He's a person, that you can relate to Him. He's not just the force, the force be with you, uh, He's not an it, He's a he. It's not a something, it's a someone. Now what if He existed? But he didn't speak. Well, we wouldn't even necessarily know he was there, or have any way of knowing he was there, or what he thought. We'd have no knowledge, no light for our path. So if he was there, I mean, you can imagine being uh, locked up in the... If you saw the Count of Monte Cristo in the Chateau d'If in his little cell, and there's just these stone walls, and if someone's in the next cell but never moves, in other words, doesn't tap on the wall or anything then you will never know even if they're there, because you, you, there's no communication. How about if we know that we realize that God is there and He speaks, but there's no relationship? Then it's just information. It's like the telephone book. Have you ever thought about having a date with the telephone book? Let's just go and just flip through it. There's oh, great information. And it's all up to date. I mean, they update it every year. I mean, doesn't that just attract you and so, say, wait, we, could, we can tear, tear a page out, carry it around, memorize it, this great information. But no, you don't relate in a personal way to just information. And the third point is, is that God is personal, you can relate to Him. And these are the three foundation stones, presuppositions. This is your starting point, your axiomatic point, As you, if you're into mathematics. These are the things that you, uh, just, Christians just accept as true. In the same way that an atheist just accepts as true that there is no God, even though he's at a similar impasse in terms of being able to absolutely prove that that's the case. There is evidence that you can mount on both sides, but uh, it's not a thing that you can prove in an empirical way. But these are the things that uh, is is the heart of Christianity and what is our faith. Now, as we go through life, and that's why I've got my ellipse here, I want to talk to you Regardless of whether or not you believe anything right now, even if you consider yourself an an atheist or an agnostic, everyone is welcome here, and really God doesn't see us any different. I mean, we're maybe at different stages and stuff, but it's not as though that the world, according to the Bible, is divided up into the people with white hats and black hats. We're all, you know, 256 shades of gray, and we all have needs, and we all have problems, and we've all made mistakes. But uh, if we were to draw the situation we have of man, let this triangle represent the triune God. And this ellipse that we have here, that's space and time. That's why I've got my little vector arrows here of depth, breadth, and height. And I have a little T here to represent time. And we exist in four dimensions, space and time. And we are locked into those dimensions. We are born, we grow up and we age and finally die, and we could talk about that being uh, the beginning being an, uh, the alpha, and the end being an omega, which is the beginning and end of the Greek alphabet. And during man's lifetime, if he's not in the midst of a war or something really, really distracting and pressing, he often will come to the point where he will ask three questions. I'll ask a lot more, but uh, particularly when he's two years old. But uh, even when he's an adult, there are three questions that are very uh, significant to man. The first is, from where? Where am I from? The second one is, what for? And the third one is, where to? From where? The question of origin. Where does man come from? What for? The question of purpose. What am I here for? And where to? What happens when I die? Why, is, why do these questions cross outside the ellipse? They cross because science can't answer these questions. That's why we have so much trouble, I think, with medical ethics. Science can tell us what is, but it can't tell us what ought, as someone once said. And so that these questions of origin, purpose, and destiny where am I from, what am I here for, where am I going to, Uh, we cry out for some reason for answers to these questions. Now the materialistic answer to it, as far as where am I from, I'm just a chance collision between tiny particles of nucleic acid and proteins in the vast prehistoric ocean. Uh, I'm simply a combination of time, chance, matter, and nothing. Why is the question of origin so significant for for us? because it, it has so much to do with establishing what is a human being worth? You take a uh, say there's a paint factory here and it, and there's a big explosion, and paint is thrown up against the wall, and they cut out a piece of that wall and uh, and they go and compare it in weight with the Picasso or Michelangelo painting. Same weight. They calculate about the same amount of, of paint on it and everything. And then they say, well, how much is the Michelangelo painting worth? We'll say, well, we, we can we can sell these pieces of paint from the pieces of wall from the factory for this we'll make a lot of money. Would people pay the same amount for the same amount of paint on the same size square footage that they would for something that Michelangelo had painted? No. Why? There was a person behind one of them. There was an accident behind the other. If man is nothing more than an accident, then how do you justify going to great lengths to save their life? How how could you argue against capital punishment? I mean, you could just go on and on. Why kill all of these peace-loving cows? Have you ever seen a cow with an M14? I mean, they're they're just <laughs> nice. They don't, I haven't even seen a cow kick anybody. I'm sure they do. You know, they have probably their interpersonal quarrels. but. Um, but they're not the ones blowing up the world. You think, well, maybe, we, maybe we're putting the wrong things in hamburgers. But this question of origin has so much to do with what is a person worth? What is the value of a human life? And the question, what am I here for? What am, what's my reason for living? When a businessman was asked one time, well, where do you work? And I work here. He said, well, why do you go to work? Well, I am able to earn money. Well, why do you earn money? So I can pay for my mortgage on my house. Well, why do you do that? Well, so I can have a place to live and sleep, and so I can go back to work. So I can earn more money. And well, why do you want to do that? Well, I have to buy groceries, too, and, and there are different, uh, you know, the light bills, stuff like that. Well, why do you pay for all of that? So I can go back to work, so I can earn more money to come back, and, and uh, so I can go on vacation, so I can rest up, so that I can go back to work. At the outset, you don't think about it that much. Maybe, when you're 25, some people have always thought about it, some people are just deep people, but most of us, it takes us a while to get deep, <laughs> have to run into enough brick walls till we start maybe thinking a bit more, but by the time you get 45, 50, some of these questions begin to matter a bit more. Are we just animals? Are we just educated, affluent apes? And if so, why, why be humanitarian? Uh, where do you get this idea of, of the importance of serving people out of uh, the law, uh, the, the the principles of evolution? It's the survival of the fittest. What Hitler was doing, according to evolution, as far as I can understand it, is he was doing what was what you're supposed to be doing. What I've always wondered is, why is it that if if evolution and a materialistic apart from some of the details of it, but just an an, an atheistic, materialistic way of viewing things, which is uh, communism and Nazism to a large degree. Why is it that if that's so right, how come it looks so wrong when they actually carry it out? And if Christianity is so wrong, how come if you rarely do it right, it looks so good? Where did that come from? And then the third question, where to? Just imagine for a moment you're 70 years old. For some of you that's going back in time. For some of you, that's going forward, but your heart has been beating now for 70 years, that's 840 months, 25,000 days, and then all of a sudden, it stops. And that's it. Or is it? Can you know? What happens after death? Is there a coming back? Is there something like reincarnation, is what the Bible talks about heaven right? But these are the kind of questions that All of us ask ourselves, regardless of any beliefs we have. I remember talking to uh, a German student one time. Uh, About 30% of the German students I would talk with were atheists. Another 30% were agnostics. And the other 30% were non-church-going, but Lutherans or Catholics. Uh, Usually not one in a hundred would actually say, yes, I believe. I really believe. But I asked one German student, I says, well, what's your purpose in life? Because that's a very difficult question to answer if you're sure about atheism. And he thought a minute. He says, Die Fortpflanzung des menschlichen Geschlechtes. It's hard to say, but it's the, he, the reproduction of the human race. And then he says, I, I know it's not much, but it's all I've been able to come up with so far. But they were thinking about those things because those are the questions that are not answerable within our space time dimension. Now, what we believe and what the Bible teaches is that one day the Word became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, that God broke the silence and communicated to us through His Son, that's in John 1.14. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1, okay, verse 8, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. And He is the Alpha and the Omega, He is the one that has defined our existence, and if we can come to a relationship with Him, His Word can be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Now, there are three, I heard a talk one time in Strasbourg, France, when I was over in Germany, I, I had a chance to visit the, the ministry over in France, and they had a wonderful weekend retreat in the Vosges Mountains. And Alain Chouacquier talked about the three ways that God knocks on the door of your heart. He said, et The three knocks of God on your heart. So we looked at three questions on your mind, and now we're looking at three knocks on your heart. The first knock of God on your heart is through the creation. We were driving into town today looking at those azaleas. I mean, some are peeking out, and the others are ready to pop. I don't know if we'll, we'll be if by Sunday they're really going to all open up, but I um, have my hopes. But, and also what Ben was saying, by looking at his infant son, realizing that, in a sense, God was speaking to him. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Does it really look like a big accident? It's so beautiful. Can it possibly be just the result of chance? God knocks on the door of your heart through creation, through what has been made, through the wonders of the human mind, through the things that we discover through science. What's the second knock on the door of your heart? Your conscience. Where did that come from? That voice that's bugged you throughout your life. its uh, At times you were thinking, well, there shouldn't be, everybody's saying this is, there's nothing wrong with this and your conscience just is bothering you. And maybe you sometimes listened to it and and went ahead and stopped and other times you, you went against that voice in your heart and you felt bad about it. Then you had to decide what you're going to do about that feeling bad about it. But where? what is that? Well, those that believe in the Bible believe that God has put an impression of His image in you. Whether or not you believe that that's part of your design, is that you have a sense that some things are right and some things are wrong. Even if you may feel that something is right, even if it costs you something, sometimes even to the sacrificing of your own life, but you feel it is right. And there are other things that you feel are wrong, and you know you shouldn't do it. And maybe no one even ever told you that. Now, the, I guess another point of view would be, well, it's all programmed in, and I'm not going to get into all of that. I'm just going to present. You've heard all the other points of view, so I'm just going to share my point of view. And you can uh, make your own decision. But the third knock on the door of your heart is the person of Jesus Christ. That God entered time and space and became a living soul I don't know how many of you have seen the movie "The Passion," but I remember as I was watching that movie thinking, how could this possibly be true?" You think,, well, well Henry, this is your line of work. You know what I mean? well, <laughs> How can you have a thought like that? But it, when just actually seeing it, somehow things way, way off, or it's easier to believe them. I don't know, you, you know you're not there. But if actually someone to, to actually have been in the time of Christ, uh, and what, what, you know, the disciples with Jesus, wrestling with the idea, uh, who is he? I mean, that's the big question all the way through the Gospels. Who is this? Who is this that can just say to the storm, be quiet, and it's quiet? Who can touch a leper and he's healed? Who can, who can call Lazarus back from the dead? He's been in the, in the tomb three days, stone cold dead. Who is this? And as Peter one day came to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And as I was watching that movie and thinking... Here's this man, Jesus, and they, they beat him so badly, and he's being crucified, and, and our faith says he, he was God. How can that be true? And the very next thought was, how can it not be true? How can, how can he possibly have done that without there being something special about him? How can it not be true? I think I mentioned those three ways that God knocks on the door of your heart. What were they? They all begin with C. Help me out. What's the first one? Creation. Creation. The second one? Conscience and Christ. I do think there are a couple of other ways that God speaks to us. Those are the three main ones, but sometimes we don't listen to any of them. We're either busy or distracted or whatever, but we're not listening. There is another way he speaks to us, and that's through pain. I think there's some great quote, and I don't think I can reproduce it here. You got it? Pain is,
2: God's
1: pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world, something like that. That he whispers to us in our, and through blessings, but he shouts to us in our pain. And I had a friend, I heard a message the other day from someone I know, and he said, if you put a bar of chocolate and a lump of clay in, in a windowsill that gets a lot of sun... What's going to happen to those two things? Well, the bar of chocolate's going to get soft and kind of melt and be like a puddle. And the lump of clay is going to get hard and brittle. Why? They were both exposed to the same light and to the same heat. How could they have had opposite reactions? Because there's something different about the quality of each of those two elements. And they respond according to how they are. Has your heart gotten softer and more open to the things of God? Or have you found yourself, because of pain, they, that's the, the image here, of the heat of pain and trial and suffering, your trials and your pains and your difficulties can either make you bitter or they can make you better. Sorry to be so trite, but I heard that one time, and it's ha- handy to memorize it, but your pains and your trials can either make you bitter or they can make you better. Some of you have had to go through some awful things. It may be a difficult divorce, it may be some health situation, it may be a very difficult uh, discipline issue with a child, a problem with your parents, and there are times that you feel like it's just kinda sucked the life out of you. Uh, It's just not what you thought life was gonna be like. And in those situations, you have a choice to make of how that's going to affect you. There were people that came through the concentration camps in World War II that were broken and bitter people, and there were others that came through it, having found faith in God, that touched nations afterwards. I heard Corrie Ten Boom speak over at Hilton Head, and her father was murdered. Her sister died in the concentration camp. She was beaten. Uh, lost everything, Uh, but she had her faith in God, and she spoke in something like 60 or 80 countries before she finally died about 20 years ago. Your pains and your difficulties can either make you bitter or better. We've looked at three questions on your mind, three knocks on the door of your heart. Now I'd like to ask the question, Why is it that we run away from God? A man named Augustine was born in the year 354. I was born in 1954, that's why I can remember it. And he is one of the most famous Christians that has ever lived. Wrote volumes and volumes on the Christian life and on theology. It was just before the fall of the city of Rome, so it was in that period of time. And his mother was a was a believer his father was a businessman and she really hoped that he would follow the way of faith, but he didn't and he just lived life he learned uh, he studied public speaking I think they called it rhetoric back then and he he made his living doing that and one uh, finally he ended up in Rome he was from North Africa he ended up in Rome and he began going to listen to uh a, a Bishop named Ambrose who he'd heard was really good at public speaking. He thought he'd pick up a few things he could use in, in teaching his students how to, how to wow the crowd when you speak. But he began listening to him, and, and, and more and more he became more and more convinced that that this was right. Now I need to add there that he had already tried to fill the vacuum in his heart by being in, involved with a sect, a non-Christian cult called the Manichees that had a whole system of things. And, but as he began to hear the preaching of the Bible, Christianity just too, I can never be that good. And he was really sad about it because he thought, what a shame. Here it is, I'm on the outside looking in. I, I, I'm more and more convinced that maybe this is true after all these years of making fun of it and, and, uh, and arguing against it as a skeptic. And now here at age something like 33, he, he came to the realization that he was convinced it was true, and yet it was out of his reach. He couldn't, because he was just too bad. That's the person who became the most famous Christian in the last 2,000 years since Paul, so that's uh, saying something, isn't it? I mean, maybe there's hope for me and you. But what, there's a, all this was building up to a quote that Augustine, Augustine later on said, I was always running from life thinking it was death, and I was clinging to death thinking it was life. He said, day after day I put off living in you, but I never put off the death I died every day by being far away from you. Are you close to God tonight? Or are you running from him where are you tonight why do we run away from God and we can run in different ways by perfecting our arguments or just by being busy or saying I'm not into organized religion I've never seen anyone that was into disorganized religion that's even worse one reason might be why you would run from God is the guilty conscience. You just don't want to get near that light. And the further away you stay from God, and maybe you view it more in terms of, well, it's just the church and stuff like that, or it's just these Christians. But you just want to be able to live with yourself. But the Bible says Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you, you watch that movie, The Passion... The reason Jesus died was because of you and your sins and my sins. He can handle a guilty conscience and he can change it. He can make you new. Another reason why we might run away from God is we're just afraid if we got close what he might say. He says, what are you doing here? I know you. And we just don't, we just think... He says, uh, well, I mean, you know, and you kind of have these arguments, you know. I mean, I, I haven't been that bad. I talked to somebody the other day, and I said, well, you know, if, you were, if God were to stop you at the door of heaven and ask you why he should let you in, what would you say? And he says, well, I've been a good person. I haven't killed anybody. And I realize, you know, that's kind of a broad definition of a good person. I have not yet reached the stage of being a murderer Uh, But I didn't point that out to him. I think there are times when we just think, either God likes me the way I am, or that's his problem. But when we're in a more humble frame of mind, maybe on a sick bed, maybe in a moment of tragedy, maybe when we're not quite so cheeky with God, we think, what does God think about when he thinks about me. He's probably not very happy. We're perhaps afraid what he would say. But I think a third reason why we run away from God is because deep down we want to be our own God. I just want to do what I want to do. And I don't want anyone else telling me what to do. Remember our first verse? There is a way that seems right to a man. And the end of that way is death. When will you learn that that's true? Because someday, I believe, all of us will realize, you know what? It was true. Now you've you've had those kind of experiences already with things your parents told you. That you didn't like it when they would say that, you didn't agree with it, and maybe 30 years later, In your humbler moments, you'll say they were right on the money, and I was completely wrong. One thing my dad always used to say when I had been, yet again, unfaithful and hadn't done whatever it was he asked me to do, he said, well, Henry, I have found in life, he would always preface everything with that, that people do what they want to do, meaning all of your excuses that you just gave me is not the real reason why you didn't do it. You just didn't want to do it. And I was steaming and, you know, but years later, I have to admit that's really pretty true. But we want to be our own God. We want to be in the driver's seat. We think, I know what's best for my life. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. Now, when I talk about drawing near to God tonight, so that then you can draw near to the Word of God. It's not an invitation to get religion, to be religious, to always go around with a tie, because I should have worn a tie tonight. It's not religion, it's a relationship. It's not something, it's someone. It's not an it, it's a he. It's not a what, it's a who. There is a person there. There is a God. After 40 or 50 years of trying to stamp out religion by every means possible in the country of Romania, through torture, through arrests, through murder, through instruction in the schools of the right doctrines of materialism and evolution and humanism and communism, 40 or 50 years, On the day when Ceausescu fell, and the crowds were in that plaza out in front of the government building, they were all shouting something. Again and again and again, shouting the same thing. And when I heard the story, the person says, do you know what they were shouting? There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. And if he is, What are you going to do about it? Because if he is there, maybe he has spoken. And if he has spoken, maybe you can relate to him. It's not religion. It's a relationship. Now, some people would say, Henry, I believe in a God because it's too much work trying to prove that there's not one. And so that's a way of getting out of a bunch of arguments that I couldn't win anyway. But all this stuff about Jesus being the only way, I mean, that's just so narrow. And you almost get the feeling when they're talking, they think, Jesus wouldn't have. I mean, this is something y'all kind of added on out of enthusiasm. Uh, you're just a, a great fan club that goes way beyond what Jesus would have said anything like that. But in John 14:6, this is the reason why we believe it and we know it is true. In John 14:6, you've heard it before, but Jesus said to Thomas, "I am the way and the truth." and the life, and he doesn't stop there. He says, no one, how many? No one, not even one, anyone? No one comes to the Father but through me. You think, well, maybe his apostles had better sense, and they would realize that, well, you just can't view it quite that narrowly. In Acts 4, verse 12. The next book over, Acts 4:12. Peter is speaking, and he says in verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men, by which we must be saved. How do you get to Atlanta from Savannah? I-16. Well, but that's kind of sort of being sort of narrow. Um, some people are really more into boats. And they really like kind of sailing into the sunrise to be east. And uh, that's how they like to go to Atlanta. Well, okay. You want to get in a boat and sail toward Europe to go to Atlanta. Okay. Others really are into tropical climates, and they say, well, I, I'm really taken with the idea of I-95 South to get to Atlanta. If the air warms up. Uh, there's more foliage, and uh, we're getting down near the Pinoke and maybe down to the Keys and on our way to Atlanta. And others just want to go straight west, go out through the little towns out toward Alabama each has their own way of getting to Atlanta. The question is, will they get to Atlanta? Well, they like to think so. Yes, but will they get to Atlanta? No. Unless Atlanta is something that does not exist and that is what anyone wants to make of it. In other words, it's an illusion. And if it's all just made up, then certainly anything will do because none of it is true. If tomorrow they find a 100% cure for AIDS, works every time, works instantly. Just put the pill in your mouth. There's no pain, anything. You put the pill in your mouth, and you're completely cured. And you will never have it again. And so I go out, and I'm offering it to people. And others saying, "What are you doing? They've already got pills, and they kind of like the little green pills they've got. Yeah, but those we've already seen that doesn't heal anybody. Yes, but you're going to hurt their feelings. And how about the people that are making these pills? They got to make a living. Yeah, but this, the, this new this medicine heals people. Now, how, how do you know that? I mean, I mean maybe maybe their pills heal them in their
2: way. <laughs> well, I hadn't thought about
1: that." <laughs> What is the most moral and loving thing if there really is a cure? It's to get it out to everybody that needs it. And if I don't, have I helped anyone by leaving them with their little green sugar pill that they were used to taking? You may not agree with me, but when you say that any road will do, what you're saying is, All roads lead to nowhere, and it's just that simple. But what we believe is, there is a God. There is a God. There is a God. He has spoken, and you can know him. But there's one other thing I want to tell you about him. Because he's thinking about you right now. In a sense, the church is sort of a haunted house. The word "haunt" comes from French, meaning "home" and mean meaning inhabited, and the idea that there's someone here, thinking where? Maybe, maybe he's in the room back. No, he's he's here. We just can't see him. Now, if if you were in a house and all by yourself, and they said somebody is here, and it's not a human being. You would be impressed if you believed anything, you know, about any of those things. There are times when we believe a whole lot more about ghosts than we have about God. God's a whole lot bigger, and frankly, a whole lot more dangerous. But God is here, and he is thinking about you. And because of what we've talked about tonight, you're thinking about him. And let's see if I can find this last verse. Well, I can't find it, but I'm just going to tell it to you. But it's a quote from an Old Testament passage, and God says, All day long I held out my hand to a stubborn and rebellious people to come to me, and they wouldn't. What is going to be God's verdict on you tonight? Because amazingly enough, God has decided he loves me and you. So much so that he was willing to send his son to suffer all that he suffered. That when God thinks of you, he thinks of somebody he would like to be close to. And I want you just to picture God with his hands open tonight. There was a, there was a crusade that, or a, a Christian conference they had back in the days of communist Russia where they had to do these youth conferences secretly and I was off in the woods and there was a big banner that they put up and it was Jesus' hands with the nails in it. And a quote from Isaiah where, where God says, I have written you on the palms of my hands. He wrote your name in blood on his son because he loves you. And maybe you have been running for years or just playing at the fringes But I want to remind you tonight of all of these things you already knew. God is. He has spoken. And he wants to relate to you. And that's made
2: possible through what Jesus Christ has done for us.
1: Because a pep talk for people that are really struggling with some questions, skepticism, a pep talk's just not going to be enough. And some people are readers and studiers like Ben was, and so I just got a few really good books. This is Letters from a Skeptic, the son writing his father. The father has all the reasons why he doesn't believe, and the son is just trying to give him some answers. The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And uh, this last one by Josh McDowell, Evidence that Demands of Verdict." It's a classic also, and why we, why the Bible is is credible as a historic text, and what we believe about Jesus Christ, but also very excellent. But I encourage you, you owe it to yourself to check it out if you have uh, some of those doubts that have been lingering for for years. So why don't we, why don't I get you just to stand, and we'll have a word of prayer. Just close your eyes and maybe God has spoken to you tonight. Or maybe you are struggling. Maybe you're sorry you came. Maybe you're just as sure that all these religious people are crazy. But particularly if you feel somehow that something or someone is tugging on your heart tonight. Uh, I hope that you'll give God a chance, that you'll open up your heart to him, that you'll say, as I said years ago, God, I don't know if you're there, but if you are, I'd like to know you. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could spend these moments talking about the God of the Word so that we can draw near to the Word of God. Thank you that you have cared for us and that you came to answer these questions, where are we from, what are we here for, where are we going? You have knocked on the door of our heart through creation, through conscience, through Christ, and also through pain and failure. And we're sorry that in many times in our life we have run away from you. We have fled from life thinking it was death and embraced death and clung to it thinking it was life. Maybe afraid what you would say, Maybe just intent on being our own God and not giving you the time of day. But right now, for all that have a, the tender heart, that bar of chocolate in the sunlight that melted, and you felt God speak to you in a special way tonight, Lord, we pray for that person tonight and those individuals, that they would let you in. In fact, I'll just pray a prayer right now if you'd like to pray it with me in your heart, quietly. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to come home. I want you to be my Savior. If you'll have me, I want to know you. I've failed in many ways. I'm glad I haven't failed in even more, but I'm burdened with the things that have been wrong in my life and I ask your forgiveness. And I pray that from here on your light, your word will be a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. In Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.